To get your free audio gift, The Three Pillars of Achieving Your Perfect Weight Using the Mind-Body Connection, go to healthymindfitbody.com and enter your first name and email address, and we'll send that to you right away. Welcome, everyone, to Healthy Mind Fit Body Podcast number 27. This is Wes, and I have Kevin on the other line. Hey, Kev. Hey, Wes. How is it going over there? It's going pretty good. I'm actually in the middle of packing. I've got stuff everywhere. I'm packing for my trip to Costa Rica, leaving tomorrow morning. Nice. Central America. Yeah, yeah. Ever been down there before? No, no. Actually, this is the first time um, south of Mexico for me, so Uh it'll be an interesting experience. Yeah, so I guess if you go into the jungle, you're going to have to have bug spray or something, huh? Oh, I got my bug spray. Yeah, the, the bugs love me because <laughs> I have like sweet blood, I think, and they just they oh, no. swarm on me. Yeah, so if <laughs> if I'm in a crowd and there's like a bee or, or mosquitoes or something, they'll always gravitate towards me, so. <laughs> yeah, I used to room with a lady whose son uh, went down to Costa Rica with them on a rafting trip through the one of the rivers in central Costa Rica, I guess. Uh-huh. And he said he got bit by every bug imaginable. Like he could <laughs> not get away from them, no matter what spray he used or anything. He says... If he was going to go back, he'd bring a flamethrower oh, yeah. <laughs> and some napalm because it was just horrendous for him. Well, I was told to start taking garlic tablets. Supposedly, the because the mosquitoes will kind of shy away from you if you have the garlic in your blood. Uh-huh. It keeps them away. So I haven't done that yet, but I, I probably should uh, go down and get some garlic and uh, start loading up here. It also is good for keeping the vampires away, too. Exactly. Yeah, they don't want to suck your blood. It's one of the fortunate things of living in San Diego. There really are not many biting bugs. Not too many bugs. Yeah, get a few spiders here and there. but Yeah. Okay, well, we were just uh, talking about the first pillar of self-esteem before the show, and we kind of led into that with some things about the nature of self-esteem, the definition, and so forth, because we think that the six pillars of self-esteem are really crucial to understand what's going on in yourself as you go through the process of acquiring better nutritional information, living a better lifestyle, um, dealing with weight management, you know, losing all that weight, you're basically dramatically changing your self-image, right? Right. If you don't first accept, and we'll get into the practice of self-acceptance, but if you don't accept where you are, you're not going to be able to get to where you want to be. And so it's good to turn the searchlight of consciousness inward and to look at these things. Yeah, and that ties right in with the uh, living consciously pillar. Mm-hmm. He basically leads into this pillar by talking about the things we can do to remain unconscious. Like it's a volitional process. We choose to raise our level of awareness on certain things. In relation to eating, you know, there's all kinds of ways we can sabotage that awareness process. I know the way I eat is wrecking my health, but dot, dot, dot. You know, people have all these different reasons of why they're doing things that are not so good for them. Yeah. And I think when you just say that, when you say, yeah, there's a lot of ways that we all, you know, kind of ignore things that we're not living consciously, we're living more unconsciously. It's easy to say, oh, no, that's not true. I'm, I'm totally conscious of everything I do. But you have to really actually think about it. You know, think about everything that you do. And are you, are you actually living consciously? That's interesting because Brandon has a little section here, a paragraph called the betrayal of consciousness. Yeah. This is his lead in to talking about this pillar of living consciously. He says, this last point bears emphasis, which was, to live consciously means to seek to be aware of everything that bears on our actions, purposes, values, and goals, to the best of our ability, whatever that ability may be, and to behave in accordance with that which we see and know. 
Consciousness that is not translated into appropriate action is a betrayal of consciousness. It is mind invalidating itself. Living consciously means more than seeing and knowing. It means acting on what one sees and knows. Thus, I can recognize that I have been unfair and hurtful to my child, or my spouse or my friend, and need to make amends. But I don't want to admit I made a mistake, so I procrastinate, claiming that I am still, quote, thinking about the situation. This is the opposite of living consciously. At a fundamental level, it is an avoidance of consciousness, avoidance of the meaning of what I am doing, avoidance of my motives, avoidance of my continuing cruelty. Isn't that interesting? So there has to be the follow-through, not just the awareness of something, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Kind of ties into his other pillar of living responsibly and with integrity. It's all kind of tied together, all these different pillars. It's all tied together. But you really have to take one at a time because you have to get in deep with this stuff or it doesn't make as much sense. Yeah, no floating on the surface because that would be living unconsciously too. (laughs) Exactly. Sleepwalking through one's existence. And he, he started out the chapter saying that most people seem to be sleepwalkers through their existence. Yeah. In virtually all of the great spiritual and philosophical traditions of the world, there appears some form of the idea that most human beings are sleepwalking through their own existence. Enlightenment is identified with waking up. Evolution and progress are identified with an expression of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he talks about noticing and confronting impulses. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's how you change. I mean, that's how you grow and, and make yourself a better person. And being willing to see and correct mistakes, it's so hard because, you know, I think we were talking a little bit before the show about what we learn in school. Sometimes it's not always right. <laughs> and if uh, people out there are, you know, have master's degrees and PhDs and things like that, you know, usually they're pretty bright people to go through with these programs, but some of the information changes. And new discoveries are found out. And in the nutritional world, especially, um, it, it's not all set in stone. I mean, we're, we're still finding out new things all the time. And we talk about, you know, the low carb versus low fat. Well, even now, I think they're teaching in nutrition degrees and uh, graduate degrees and dietitians, things like that. I think they're still preaching a lot of the low fat type of diets, as far as I know. Yeah, they pretty much are. Fat is a main contributor to calories, right? Twice as many calories per gram, so you have to avoid it. Oh, but you have to eat some healthy fats, though. They're willing to say that. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they do come to reality with some of the stuff, but... Just not saturated fat, because it is, you know, the devil. <laughs> yeah, of course. And all the evidence shows, of course, that saturated fat causes you to die. Or maybe that's not exactly true. In fact, that's the exact opposite of the truth. So they're not really willing to look at the nature, uh, as Brandon says being receptive to new knowledge and willing to re-examine old assumptions. We are not operating at a high level of consciousness if we are absorbed totally by what we believe we already know and are uninterested in or close to new information that might bear on our ideas and convictions. Such an attitude excludes the possibility of growth. Right, exactly. And I think we've talked about this in the past. If you were to find out that eating a low-fat diet was actually better for your health, if you read all the science and everything that proved this, would you still stick with the low-carb diet? Because of, that's what we've been talking about. Because we can't possibly go back on our word. I mean, we've been saying low-carb for you know eight months now. Yeah, instead trying to find ways to justify or hold up and bolster the incorrect assumptions. But no, I am more concerned about my health than anything. Exactly. So if I found out that what I'm doing is unhealthy, I will change that. Yeah. But it's about following the evidence. It's not just going blindly based on dogma. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of the... Uh, 
you know, academic institutions do. They just promote dogma and they get people to be followers of textbooks rather than critical thinkers. Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of it comes down to uh, having that active mind. He talks about you know, having an active mind and being able to try something out like, okay, so you may have always been taught that low fat was the way to go, but a lot of the science is showing that the low carb diets actually work in terms of getting people down to a more optimal weight. So trying that out, you know, might be something that allows you to live more consciously. I mean, you get the experience of it and then see what kind of benefits you get. Mm -hmm. And then you can judge yourself rather than, you know, trying to just rely on um, other people for all this stuff. Well, then it's also important to put it in context. Where did the high-carb, low-fat diet come from? Where did it originate? And if you start peeling that onion, man, it's got a really rotten core. True. Whereas if you look at the lower-carb, high-fat diet or higher-fat diet and moderate protein, that goes way back to you know, Homo habilis, Homo erectus, you know, all are different hominids that have lived throughout the ages over a few million years, up to Homo sapiens within the last, say, quarter of a million years. Uh, they've eaten a certain way, you know, yeah. to look at that way of eating and how our genes have adapted to our environment in that way is really key. Oh, yeah. And I think that was one of the uh, essential points of what Mark Sisson was talking about in our interview with him. Yep. All the paleo perspectives, basically looking at what paleolithic humans ate and how they behaved and, you know, their level of fitness and health and so forth. Yeah. Versus the advent of modern agriculture and all of the debilitating diseases that have resulted from a lot of that. Yeah. So he says, uh, sometimes our premises are mistaken and need to be revised, which leads to the next point, being willing to see and correct mistakes. When we accept certain ideas or premises as true, it is almost inevitable that over time we become attached to them. The danger then becomes that we may not wish to recognize evidence that we are mistaken. It is said of Charles Darwin that any time he encountered some fact that seemed to militate against his theory of evolution, he wrote it down immediately because he did not trust his memory to retain it. Living consciously implies that my first loyalty is to truth, not making myself right. All of us are wrong some of the time, all of us make mistakes, but if we have tied our self-esteem or our pseudo-self-esteem to being above error, then if we have become overattached to our own positions, we are obliged to shrink consciousness in misguided self-protection. To find it humiliating to admit an error is a certain sign of flawed self-esteem. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this on our Mark Sisson interview, that I've been coaching swimming now for several years, and I've always been a proponent of doing the long, slow distance. But just hearing what he had to say and reading a lot of his blog posts and now having his book, I can see that there's a lot of benefit to doing the shorter stuff, even for endurance sports. And I'm willing to completely take a look at that and change it, even though I've written a book on swimming training and uh, I haven't talked about this at all. I'm definitely willing to put that because it's new evidence to me that actually works, Mm -hmm. even though this is what I've been preaching for six, seven years now. I'm more than happy to take the new evidence and incorporate that into what I'm doing. Yeah, that's just basically living consciously and realizing that the process is more important than the actual results or the the conclusions that you draw. Because if you have the process right, you're going to draw the best conclusions. Right. So I'd like to get back to the noticing and confronting impulses to avoid or deny painful or threatening realities. I think a lot of people are up against this when they are in the process of losing weight and changing their self-image and all that. Brandon wrote, Nothing is more natural than to avoid what evokes fear or pain. 
Since this includes facts our self-interest requires us to face and consider, we may have to override avoidance impulses. But this requires that we be aware of such impulses. What we need, then, is an orientation of self-examination and self-awareness, of consciousness directed inward as well as outward. Part of living consciously is being on guard against the sometimes seductive pill of unconsciousness. This asks for the most ruthless honesty of which we are capable. Fear and pain should be treated as signals not to close our eyes, but to open them wider. Not to look away, but to look more attentively. This is far from an easy or effortless task. It is unrealistic to imagine that we will always execute it perfectly, but there will be great differences among us with regard to the sincerity of our intention, and degrees matter. Self-esteem asks not for flawless success, but for the earnest intention to be conscious. Yeah, and I think we talked about this on an earlier podcast, but this also ties in with kind of the individuation, where when you're in a group, such as a work group, a lot of times there's a lot of pressure to kind of conform to the group. Yes. And this is where it just becomes so important to you know, do the right thing rather than uh, try to please other people, with, such as the way you eat. I mean, you're, if, you, if you eat the way we talk about, you're going to stand out because a lot of people tend to kind of almost look down on healthy eating or different eating, you know, something that, that might actually be working for you. They might... Um, you know, the group thing takes over and it's like, well, what are you doing that for? Well, you know, and, and a lot of people will get kind of discouraged on their eating or their diet. Yeah, their internal signals kind of get suppressed. They don't raise their awareness about what they're feeling and what they're thinking uh, because they're surrounded by people that aren't doing much of that themselves. Exactly. You know, they're not paying attention to the inner stuff. And I think kind of like to sum up this chapter he talked about the concern to know not only external reality, but also internal reality, Mm -hmm. the reality of your needs, feelings, aspirations, and motives, so that you are not a stranger or mystery to yourself. Yeah. And he wrote, this intention or concern shows up in such simple questions as, do you know what you're feeling at any particular moment? Do you recognize the impulses from which your actions spring? Do you notice if your feelings and actions are congruent? Do you know what needs or desires you may be trying to satisfy? As we eat those donuts, right, Kev? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and blindly watch TV and, yeah, anyway. Exactly. Yeah, I think every once in a while you got to do that. When you do the low-carb eating for a while, go back and have a big plate of pasta and just see how you feel. Because I used to be able to, I mean, I used to eat that all the time. And then after doing low-carb for like even just a few months, the idea of eating that, the big carb stuff wasn't as appealing. And when I did, I just felt like crap. <laughs> and, and it just, it didn't appeal to me anymore because I started associating those foods with the crappy feeling. Yeah. So it's just something that, you know, it ha- happens once in a while, but once you are low carbing for a while, it's easy to not crave that stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. you want to be doing things that are good for you. And to satisfy these cravings or desires for a sweet kind of attunes you back to that inner voice that knows that what is good for you should be tasty and what is tasty should be good for you kind of thing. Yeah. So to finish the questions here, do you know what you actually want in a particular encounter with another person? Not what you think you should want. Do you know what your life is about? On a more global philosophical scale, right? Mm -hmm. Is the program you are living one you accepted uncritically from others, or is it generally of your own choosing? Do you know what you are doing when you particularly like yourself, and what you are doing when you don't? 
these are the kinds of questions that intelligent self-examination entails. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I think that what you're doing when you like yourself versus what you're doing when you don't, that entails living consciously too. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, just relating to that, I, again, it goes back to habits and people get into habits and like they have to have the same breakfast every day. doesn't matter if it's unhealthy or, you know, high carb, whatever. It's just, I got to have this. And you get stuck on that. And um, a lot of times it's hard to break out of it. Yes. Breaking those habits that are not so good for us. That requires raising one's awareness, obviously. Yep. Paying attention to inner signals. Very important. Absolutely. So I think that wraps up the first pillar, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was good. Next week I'll be in Costa Rica. So um, should we do the next one in Spanish? We could. Habla Espanol. <laughs> I, have to, I have to learn Spanish on my plane trip down there. So I'll see, I'll see how far I can get. Crash course in Spanish. Cerveza, por favor. Nice. Yeah, that'll be interesting. If you can find an internet cafe, we can do this from. Yeah. So if you like this show, you can go to iTunes. We've got a link in the show notes and also on the website, healthymindfitbody.com, where you can give us a rating and review. Much appreciated for that. And you can also comment on our blog posts and after the show notes of each podcast that we do. We really love your input and we welcome any questions, critical questions or comments uh, about your own process of going through this. Yeah, and we have uh, a free download if you go to the website. And actually, we have a new homepage. You can see us, uh, Wes and Kevin, on video. Mm-hmm. We have a little 60-second uh, preview of the website and our free audio, which is the three pillars of achieving your perfect weight using the mind-body connection. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, go ahead and put your first name and email in, and we'll send that out to you right away. Absolutely. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone. Talk to you next week. It's so-